You're listening to the Food Freedom Life Podcast. My name is Brittany Allison, and I spent six plus years stuck in diet binge cycles, hating my body, and envying others who seem to have it all because I never felt enough. What I discovered in my journey to food freedom and becoming a registered dietitian is this. You can either live your life at war with your mind or learn to work in sync with it. So if you're ready to learn how to be in tune with yourself and evolve your life, welcome to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Food Freedom Life podcast. Today, we have an extra, extra, extra special guest, Robin. This is my very first client story episode. Robin is one of my clients, and I'm so excited and genuinely honored to be doing this interview right now with her. So Robin and I have been working together for almost two years now. Yeah, Um, I think it's two years coming up on January. So she's just come such a long way in her food freedom and recovery process. And I'm really just happy to have her on the episode. So welcome, Robin. Thanks, Brittany. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. It's been a bit of a been a bit of a ride, but a good good ride to get here for sure. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of ups and downs and learnings and things along the way. And you know? All the messy middle and all the messy middle. Yeah, all the messy <laughs> middle. So I just wanted to start off by asking you to tell us, the listeners, a bit more about you as a person. Who are you, Robin? Oh, boy. There's, <laughs> there's, a, lot, there's a lot you can say there. Well, I'm a she, her. I'm a single parent to a girl that has some special needs. I work in an industry, I work in a nonprofit industry, but doing um, really logical work like business intelligence and analytics. Um, My spare time, though, I really like to be creative and create things with my hands. I love data, but I also am a big feeling human. Yeah, I'm uh, 44. And uh, in the context of this, I've, I've been you know, dealing with binge eating disorder, eating disorders since I was very, very young. So yeah, I feel like I've come a long, long way as a human to identify myself as all those other things first. Yeah. And then as someone who's had an eating disorder. Honestly, I mean, that in itself that you can identify all those things about yourself and not just things that you enjoy to do, but just, you know, pieces of who you are and exactly what you said, say those first. It really does say a lot about recovery because I feel like so often that's kind of the first thing that pops into your mind when you're really struggling, right? It's like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of, um, like a good example of that, a dating profile I would have created a couple of years ago would have, would have started with, I'm a big girl. Mm -hmm. That doesn't even come into play now. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of switch in the internal dialogue uh, Mm -hmm. about who you are when you recover from all of this, (laughs) (laughs) all of this, all of this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so looking back into when you were younger, especially now that you have more awareness around it, where would you say that your issues with food and body image started? Well, I had a family that was very much a, here's a cookie. If you're sad, here's a cookie. If you're happy, here's a cookie. If you're uncomfortable. Um, And of course, at that time, I didn't realize that you know, that was just a coping strategy that was being introduced to me. Um, but when it really started to hit that it was wrong or a problem was when I was in grade four and the class, we were learning about weight and we all weighed ourselves. Um, and I was in grade four and I was nine, I guess. And I was a hundred pounds and oh my God, I was a hundred pounds. Now let's, I'll, I'll preface this, but I'm six foot two also. So I'm, I'm a tall human, but um, 
that changed the way that everyone in the class talked to me. And yeah. from that point forward, I didn't have a friend really until high school. Um, I did move, but yeah, that really changed um, my relationship with my body and how I thought about myself and mm. really reduced my worth as a human. Yeah. It started really, really young. I mean, grade four, that's, yeah. that's really, you're still such a child at that age. And it's funny that you mentioned a hundred pounds. I remember also becoming a hundred pounds. I don't remember the context. I don't remember how old I was, but I remember stepping on the scale in the bathroom and being like, oh my God, a hundred. That feels like too much. And I don't know where yeah. you learn that, but you do. And it's there, right? And then you hit yeah. 200 or three or four if you're me, right? And uh, every time those numbers appear, it just chips away a little bit of who you are, you know, mm -hmm. and you lose, you lose so much of yourself um, because of it, yeah. because of, because of how you're taught to um, perceive weight, you know, through every part of society, actually. It's kind mm -hmm. of sick, sick and gross what they do to us. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, where do you think you really learned to perceive weight in a negative way? That was a start. Then, you know, there was, my parents were tried to be subtle about it until I was in about grade six. And then my mom was like, now we're going to Weight Watchers. And I'm like, ah, what? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm grade six. Wow. Uh, and I was in this room with all of these old ladies that were celebrating losing a pound and or so upset if they gained a pound. Um, mm -hmm. So that really reinforced the your self-worth is tied to your body's weight. It didn't mm -hmm. matter how tall there was no like, you know, tall, short, like it was just straight up number. There was no other calculation. You're not a nice human. You're not a. You know, so at that point, you start to develop other extremes in yourself to compensate for those things that are a little bit out of your control, right? Mm. Um, I just never felt like I had any control over that in my life ever. Um, I've gone to extreme, extreme measures to try to control that number only to my health detriment through my yeah. life. Yeah. When you are so young, especially, and you go into that kind of environment, something like Weight Watchers, and you see just all of these women sharing this experience of being so happy when the number on the scale goes down and being so upset when the number on the scale goes up, it really does teach you what you should and should not be happy about when it comes to your body. And those are the that was in the 90s when back when we had like uh, all the low fat stuff, right? Like the thin cookies and the, I think that's when those cracker chips came in and there was no actual nutritional support at all. Yeah. It was just like reduce the calories, reduce the calories by eating more processed stuff, mm -hmm. but just get that number lower. They didn't take any holistic approach to, yeah, to the support that someone would need. Mm. It was all yeah. just about cutting and cutting and cutting and taking away everything to the bare bones. Yeah. Restrict, restrict, restrict. Yeah. And do you remember what the messaging was if you 
you know, quote unquote, slipped up or anything like that? What did they say? Um, back then it was, you were allowed to have one bad week. So it was kind of like wow. today, today's cheat meal. Um, right. As long as your monthly average was going down, um, mm. we didn't make a big deal out of it. But mm. I, I didn't go down. Like it didn't work for me. It just, I and I don't, I've got some very specific memories around it. But I don't remember the point when I stopped. I just know that I think my mom just saw it was not working. And it was yeah. probably not supportive of my mental health either. Yeah, um, probably. But it it wasn't working. They weren't getting their money out of it. Whatever it was, like, it was over. Mm-hmm. Um, I was glad to see it over. Yeah. But not long after that, I was on a vegetable soup diet, <laughs> you know, grade seven or eight. Um, so diet, diet, diet all the way through. What, what would you say the craziest diet you've done? was methamphetamines for sure <laughs> that'll do it <laughs> i know i uh that wasn't an intended diet but uh it was it was the one time in my life when i felt any kind of control around food was when i started using wow. and uh yeah i just stopped eating yeah. so that was the craziest thing i've done to to lose and keep off weight was was really hard drugs Um, beyond that keto of course takes its toll um, and extreme exercise um, to the point of actually permanently damaged my body from it so yeah it's amazing that you put keto right after methamphetamines (laughs) it comes to craziest things that you've ever done that's true it's a lot that says a lot keto is so restrictive and so messes up your mind and it's kind kind of funny coming full circle because I was on Instagram and I was wise when I was the last keto uh shot I did I think it was in 2018 or 2019 and like I was down and I didn't know what intuitive eating eating was at that point in time but I'm like my body likes losing weight so that's intuitive eating quote unquote Mm -hmm. and this actual nutritionist was just like she just came and she's like you can't put that hashtag this is not intuitive eating this stuff you know and I'm like blocked I'm like screw you yeah and now I wish if she ever heard this like I wish to say I am so sorry you were so right um because I have come full circle and know that that's absolutely not intuitive eating it's uh it's very restrictive Mm -hmm. very restrictive and you Mm -hmm. just end up eating the foods you don't eat and it doesn't work like every other thing yeah, it does not. But it's, I mean, I, I have been in that place too, where you're just so defensive of what you're doing that somebody else who has a different viewpoint, especially when it comes to, you know, this world of intuitive eating and health at every size, it feels like they're so, you know, this is so wrong and what you're doing is so right. And it's this interesting defense wall that really gets put up. It is because you're, at the time you're in those diets, you're also fighting so hard. You're at a point of like your fight or flight's almost engaged all the time. Like you're always on that, like stress response, go, go, go um, kind of thing. So it's hard to see past that. And it's also hard to believe that there is a way that's actually natural. And actually it allows you to be in touch with your body when you've been Mm -hmm. so out of touch with it for so long, like 42 years, 43 years of not believing I could ever feel hungry Mm -hmm. or know when I was full. Yeah. It's, 
It's almost like it's something that sounds so nice, but feels like it's so out of reach for you that you almost can't help but put up those defense walls because it feels like you can't have that. Or you don't deserve it. If yeah. It's easy. That too. You know, at, that, at, at some point you're like, wow, you know, I've done so much bad to my body. There cannot be a solution that's easy and supportive, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a mind uh, mess. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff you got to get through to get there and sit with um, mm-hmm. to get there. Certainly not one jumping from one thing to another. Yeah. As we learned <laughs> and are still learning. Are still learning. Yeah. It never, it never stops. The learning never stops. No. But when you were going through some of these more extreme diets to, you know, reach a goal and then you would binge, aside from Weight Watchers, where they kind of say like, oh, this is your cheat meal or cheat week or whatever. What did you think it was at the time? Did you think that it was just a willpower issue? Did you think of it as a binge? What did you think of it? Um, I kind of had like two categories of like overeating. I had the like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to eat this and screw you kind of overeating. Uh, yeah. And then I had the out of control. I don't even know what happened in the last 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, then that would that was more what I would consider binge eating and it was just absolutely when I would get there I my emotions um, my ability to regulate were completely non-existent like uh, like I couldn't cope I couldn't cope and it was the only thing that I had that I could just numb with or calm with you know after I got rid of the drugs in my life obviously (laughs) um you know food was still there Mm -hmm. and uh yeah I I really used it as a a coping mechanism for anything uncomfortable at all in my life um I did think it was a willpower issue and I was very hard on myself and it, it always turned into a cycle of you know, you suck and then screw it. And then you suck again. <laughs> and then, oh, I guess you deserve to be fat and like just kind of giving in to, you know, that cycle. Mm. And then you go hard for a little while and you're totally like, yeah, I'm going to lose 50 pounds on keto in three months. And you do. Yeah. Uh, and then it comes back. I've actually in my adult life lost and gained a hundred pounds more than 10 times. So that's the extremes I've I've done. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's sad that you ever thought it was a willpower issue, that there was just something wrong with you, that you were missing something in terms of your character to be able to continue with keto or whatever other diet it was. That's how does it feel to look back on that that you felt that way? Oh, I would apologize to her. I do apologize to her. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, I took so much life away. Um, I spent so much energy hating that deficiency that I perceived and wanting to, I just wanted to live normally and be outside and do the outside things and have fun. And I was just, pretty constantly obsessed with what I was putting my body and how my body looked. And I just wish I could give her some years back, just 
laughing <laughs> and enjoying things and um, learning the things that I want to learn. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I would just go say sorry. Give her a big hug. Yeah. And take her to the mirror <laughs> and do yeah. a little bit of that mirror work with her. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. powerful. powerful. It is. Yeah. It's, you can't go back and change the past, but you can do your best in the present to take care of that past version of yourself and tell her what she needed to hear. Cause chances are from time to time, you still need to hear it yourself too. You know, it's so true. Yeah. Going yeah. back and, and forgiving her too. Cause you get pissed off at that version of yourself too. There's a lot that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So offering what that person needed helps you now. Yep. For sure. And and that really does tie into what you said earlier. And I've heard it come out of your mouth a couple of times of deserving it, you know, deserving it in terms of, do I deserve recovery? I deserve feeling shitty. I deserve like a lot of different ways of deserving things and forgiving yourself for a past that you're maybe not proud of, or that you wish you could go back and have done differently. That is such a huge part of moving forward and being able to actually take care of yourself in the present, right? The more you hold on to those grudges with yourself, the harder it is to do anything in the in the here and now that is supportive and feels good. It's so true. From something simple like getting on a plane and asking for a seatbelt extender. Yeah. And talking to the person beside me saying, you know, we're going to be a little bit cuddly. Um, my name's Robin mm -hmm. and not apologizing, just owning my space instead of like the entire time hyperventilating because I might touch the guy beside me. It, just those, those small shifts and owning the space and like deserving to be here, deserving mm -hmm. to be, you know, six foot two of glory, yeah. you know? Um, I was not built for speed. I was built for comfort and that is okay. <laughs> that is absolutely okay. And it's a continual process of forgiving yourself too. It's not necessarily just a one and done of a single conversation with yourself saying, yep, I forgive you. It's continually revisiting that very similar to <laughs> body acceptance, right? It's, it's not just a one and done of, Hey, I accept you. We're good now. It's continually checking in with that and reaffirming it to yourself that this is the case it's totally true I mean well you've worked with me for the last almost two years you know <laughs> there are backwards and forwards through the process and I think you learn from every from every bit of growth there's just this blossoming of understanding that ties back in for example when I first started the process of healing my relationship with food and everything was on, like there was no off limits. It takes a while to be, to give permission. Mm -hmm. And and when you give permission, sometimes you still feel guilt. So then when you're feeling guilt, you have to learn to create a soft landing for yourself. And once you learned how to create a soft landing, it helps you to move to the next spot. And it, it really, um, it is a very, all-encompassing healing pro process it's not just about I'm allowed to have this chocolate any day I want like it is very little about that <laughs> and more about just allowing yourself to exist um, yeah. as you are right now that's such a beautiful way of putting it 
And it, it's so true, right? Because it's not about the chocolate. The chocolate is just the vehicle that you're using to channel all of this negativity that you feel about your body into and now using that to demonize the chocolate. It's not about the chocolate. The chocolate is irrelevant, ultimately. It's yeah. how much you don't want to be in your body that is making this chocolate into the bad guy. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, like, I still have moments where I wouldn't mind crawling out of my skin for a minute. But I think the difference now from then is is accepting that that's where I'm at right now and it will pass. Mm -hmm. Whereas I couldn't before. I couldn't sit in the discomfort before. So that's that's a big part of it, too. It's just learning to sit with things that are uncomfortable. That's and that's probably the hardest part of it. (laughs) It's learning to sit with things that are maybe not feeling so good. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point, too, because that is a part of acceptance is like accepting that you're not okay right now, but you know that this is temporary and this will pass. And Mm -hmm. I just need to accept that I'm uncomfortable right now and allow it to be and maybe do what I can to make myself as comfortable as possible. But even still, I might still be uncomfortable and that that's okay. Yeah. And I think like for me, because I like data and we worked a lot around the data, uh, I could go back to my session notes. I could go back to times where I was rough and I was just not okay. And look at the tools and the little tweaks. And and also remember that I did get through it and mm-hmm. um, and my growth continued. So, so reflection is good. Mm-hmm. Reflection on from point A to point whatever, 60 million. I don't even know where we're going. Yeah, there's there's a lot of tiny, tiny, tiny little things that happen to create this healing. And it is not quick. It is you have to be patient with yourself. You have to, like I said, you have to create soft landings for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And even even though there are ups and downs, absolutely, that is part of the process. It's an overall upward trajectory of ups and downs. It's not, you know up and then you're back down where you started or you're you know further back than when you started you are still a step forward even if you're in a bit of a downturn right now and that that's hard because especially when you have a history of everything being so all or nothing and really being on and then really being off when you have a bit of a downturn it it feels like that again and that's like that's trauma because yeah. there's just so much negativity and so much so many feelings of failure that came with that right yeah, I lived in a lot of feelings of failure for sure. That resonates with me. <laughs> Getting past the feelings of failure in not just this, but in all aspects of life has been a, a great work for me for the last few years. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think I've done a lot of growth there. It's tough though. It's tough when when you tie your worth to certain things because you couldn't, you're compensating for other things and then realize that you didn't need to compensate, but what do we do with all this extra that we had before? Mm-hmm that we were giving you have to pull some back you have to pull some in and you have to almost remap things to go forward and that's that's tricky I'm still working on that part the remapping Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure where I'm at and who I am anymore but I do know that I'm closer to what I want to be it's not again just about the food it's about Mm self-discovery it really is yeah it's like so much of your life is spent on food that that kind of is who you are, right? You are the person who's trying all the diets. You are the person who's, you know, always researching different diets and on forums and like looking up 
new exercises or exercising or whatever, like that's who you are. But when that's not there anymore, not that you still don't care about health or food or exercise or whatever else it might be. It's just now you actually have to take a hard look at who you are as a person and how you want to spend your time and like what you want to do. It's an open wound that you have to really heal in all areas. Yeah, I was thinking about it a lot. Like my relationship with food as I was younger, I kind of related it. It's funny. I related it to like a really kind of bad romantic relationship where there was like big feelings everything was big, big passion, big emotion, but the ups were up and the downs were down. There was no reconciling that relationship. There was no, like, it was passionate and awesome when it was awesome, but it was the worst when it was the worst. And now I feel like I'm coming into this like old marriage with food (laughs) where we have beautiful moments together in the kitchen and we come up with these beautiful experiences and we share with our friends and, you know, I post a little bit about the stuff that I love to make, but it's, it, it really feels like a dance now. And it feels like it feels supportive and loving and lifting. Whereas before it was just tumultuous and it was just yucky. So mm-hmm. I, I would, I would say that this is a nicer place to be <laughs> than all those big, big feelings, that supportive, comfortable, safe feeling is is really where I've gotten to and I think that's what makes it worth it to find a place where you feel safe with it that's a great analogy with the old marriage I like that it's you know what it feels like relationship versus the you know (laughs) old comfortable marriage when you just like know that person inside and out and you know their quirks and that's like how it evolves with food it's it's that's how it feels that's how it feels for me and it's a good thing. It's, it's, I mean, there's always something to be said for the passion, but there's way more to be said for safe and comfortable for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so what would you say were the big, almost hurdles that you had to overcome as you healed from binge eating? Well, I think I had to really, I could, I was so overwhelming for me. I couldn't go big picture. Mm-hmm. I couldn't like zoom in and find what was wrong. So I really had to deconstruct which areas in my life were more impacted by, you know, my coping with food or whatever. And um, I think for me, work is a, is a big one. I do have a pretty high stress job eating at my desk um, and always having food at my desk. And the, I had the least ability to cue into my, my hunger and fullness sensations while I was working because I, because of dysregulation. So I had to do a lot of work around regulating myself to be able to, um, to work through that. That was a big one for me. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I have some physical stuff that goes on. Like I have some autoimmune stuff and I have to take hormone or steroids for that. And steroids really mess with my appetite and mess with my ability to sense, you know, when I'm full, I'm, or I'm just always hungry. Like, let's be real. I just always, I just can't seem to feel full when I'm taking prednisone. And so instead of, you know, relying on uh, the cues of my body for that, I started, I shifted to using that extra energy that I got from the medication to take a little more time to prep and be supportive and, you know, um, to learn more things that were supportive for my, for my nutrition. Cause you know, I got some ins- food insensitivities or sensitivities that I learned about through, through this process too. Like I never thought I would notice that gluten hurt my body. I never thought I would get to a point where I was so sensitive to what I was putting in that I noticed that gluten was causing swelling in my hands. 
but here we are today. I never knew that I would notice that lactose was causing me digestion issues because I always had gut pains. It was just something I deserved to have because of how I ate. That's how I, you know, so it's got me to a much better place. But yeah, the the hardest part probably was work um, and breaking it down into, into manageable chunks for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily looking at, okay, here are all of the things that we need to tackle to heal. It's all right. What are the biggest things that are causing discomfort behaviors that don't feel good, whatever it is right now. And let's kind of chip away at them one at a time and focus on these things. And yeah, I mean, the, the work piece was really big for you in the beginning. That was something that was, you know, that was hard to overcome that. But once you did, it's not like it was totally smooth sailing, but it opened up more room to look at some of these other pieces and like, okay, now let's, yeah, listen to, learn how to listen to your body a little bit more. And okay, now let's, now let's hear what your body is saying and try to kind of fine tune things based on that. It was just this really beautiful progression that happened by taking those small chunks. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think back to my cheeseburgers in the car, like, before I would pick my daughter up from school, I would be stressed out. I would drive through, I'd grab five cheeseburgers and eat them on the way. And the other day, my brother was in my car. He's like, you don't have any fast food junk in your car anymore. And I'm like, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I do not. But thank you for noticing. And that was kind of a neat thing, right? And these little realizations come after a time. Another one today, I reached into my purse to grab my phone. And I'm like, there's a Kit Kat in my purse, like a chunky <laughs> Kit Kat in my purse. And not only did I not celebrate by eating it right away, I put it back <laughs> like yeah. to remember another day because that's not what I like. There, that would I would not that would have been burned into my psyche oh, yeah. until I had a moment alone to eat that bar. bar right. Totally. That, that bar had a purpose. This bar is just there in case I decide I want it one day. Yeah. And that's a big progression too, right? It's so different. Yeah. The idea that you could forget about a Kit Kat chunky in your purse, which is the best kind of Kit Kat, by the way. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> is just, I mean, two years ago, if you would have said that to that version of Robin, that that would happen, she would have looked at you like you'd fallen out of a tree. <laughs> Dismissed me completely. Yeah. 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 Well, when we met, I was starting to... I had progressed from binge eating to bulimia again for a short period and because I felt so out of control. So I can't, it's just, I'm really grateful. (laughs) I'm really grateful to be where I'm at and have room in my life. For sure. And I know you touched a little bit on this too, but how do you feel like body image played into your healing process? Body image is still, I, I, I'm in a space of mostly neutrality now. I would say I have moments where I'm like, Hey, girl um (laughs) and those are fabulous but I just love that I've moved from hate because I really hated who I hated myself in my skin not only just because of the way I looked but because of the way I felt I have a lot of chronic pain and again you blame yourself for Mm. the pains in your body so now I'm I'm just kinder to her and I just I touch her and I say hey you know what thanks for carrying a baby. Thanks for carrying me, even though I know it hurts today, you know, and it sounds cheesy, but just like looking in the mirror and just telling yourself that all of that space is yours and you're worth every inch of it. Mm -hmm. Even if you grow, even if you shrink, it doesn't matter, you know, and, and finding spots on your body that 
you can put a little adoration into. Today I walked in um, from the minus 31 wind chill and <laughs> my cheeks were so cute and red <laughs> and my nose was so cute and red. And I'm like, look at that beautiful blush you have on your face. And I make a point of saying things like that out louder on my daughter too, to, to sort of help her as well, like as much as I can, because I sure wish someone had done that around me when I was little. Yeah. So, yeah. Time, time spent with your body, mm-hmm. touching it, loving it, looking at it, speaking kindly to it, and also shutting down the nasty voice in your head. That's another important thing. Yeah. Shut up. Name her, <laughs> name her and shut her down. Call her. Bridget, call her, whatever you want to call her, (laughs) and you tell her to shut it off. And once you name her, it works a lot better. (laughs) It becomes two two different people talking Mm -hmm. in your head. Yeah. Yep. Because that voice, that negative, critical, berating voice that comes up, it's not yours. It's learned. It's, you know, taking up space in your head, rent free. So time to evict. (laughs) And when you name it, it makes it a lot easier to separate it from you so that you can slowly evict. And, you know, maybe sometimes she pops by every so often and says hello, but, you know, you don't let her squat anymore. <laughs> in your brain. She has no more squatters rights. It's so funny. Yeah. My girlfriend has a, has a daycare. And when I was first starting to get into this process, I sat and I sat down on the floor. I'm like, Oh, my lard ass. Da, da, da. Something about something I used to say out loud about myself. And she said, no, thank you, Robin. And I took <laughs> that dialogue and I made it into her voice. And, and every time now that, that my internal voice starts talking, I'm like, no, thank you. And I just shut <laughs> it down just like my girlfriend did. But it, it really worked. Yeah. Because that was, a, that was a caring voice Yes. to me. And I just turned it into a caring voice for me internally. It just worked really well. So. Mm-hmm. Have yes. a friend. If you have a friend that tells you no, thank you, you listen and you use that voice. <laughs> it works I good. Agree. I agree. So as friends, we need to say that to our friends more often. No, thank you. <laughs> They're mean to themselves. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. We love ourselves here. Yes. We don't talk badly about ourselves here. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we we kind of dropped this bomb a little bit earlier. And if you don't want to get into it, we don't have to get into it. But I'm just curious to maybe hear your thoughts if you want to share them on maybe how your addiction recovery plays into your eating disorder recovery. Did it at all? Or do you feel like they're totally separate? Well, my addiction came when I was in college and uh, it was, it wasn't, I didn't start using methamphetamines to lose weight. My first experience was to stay up and have energy. Mm. But the first time I tried it, I found out that, oh, wow, I'm not hungry. And it was powerful. It was very powerful. And I had this energy that came along with it, of course, speed. And I almost didn't stop using it because I didn't want to get fat again. So when I started using methamphetamines, I was at my heaviest weight, about 460 pounds. Um, I'd suffered a back injury. I was big, big girl. And everything was hard. And I was young. I was in my early 20s. Um, And then this light powder came along that gave me an energy I'd never had in my entire life, not just before the back injury ever. And uh, it, it like, I I recall telling mom, I'm never stopping this. Mm. I, I, I'm never, ever going to stop because this is giving me what I thought, what I perceived, right. Was the worthwhile part version of myself. But it, Mm -hmm. of course it turned me into a 
lying, thieving, awful human. And when it did, when I did stop using about, I stopped, stopped about four years after. Mm-hmm. Like I was homeless. I was 220 pounds and I still wasn't skinny enough anyway. <laughs> like that was a really sad part. So when I came back, I had a really interesting drug and alcohol counselor. He went right into the eating disorder with me right away because he could see that, but he didn't, maybe didn't, he got a little surface level, but didn't dig it deep enough. Yeah. I think I would have been a little better supported then um, Mm -hmm. because of course I ballooned again, right? I, for a month I slept and ate and then, yeah, I just continued to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat because I had no serotonin or uh, dopamine for a while after that, right? You don't, so anything to feel anything. And it became, then it became really more physical and visceral, my -hmm. eating disorder. I, it became like, I could physically feel the fullness and that's what I was going for. I could, the Mm -hmm. chewing and the, because there was a lot of um, physical stuff and, and um, the sensory sensory stuff with the drugs too right with the ritual of preparing them and and using them food became like gather all the things and then you know sit in the corner with your bucket of ice cream and your two bags of chips and your cheeseburger and your box of cookies and this is my plan right now and no one's getting in my way yeah it became very uh ugly very ugly after that and it's transformed over the years but after that, I, I didn't think there was a possibility for me to ever truly recover from my eating disorder. I, th- I thought I'm, I'm doomed. Like, this is me forever. And some way or the other, I just, you know, I just have to try to lose 50 pounds once in a while to not die from it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the addiction recovery, it sounds like for a period of time, it, it made recovery for your eating disorder feel even further off and even harder. I was a little too young to really latch onto the ability to sit with your feelings right yeah like you're supposed to feel feelings that's why they're there uh you're not supposed to get rid of them with something else right yeah. um and I just the concept of that was just I couldn't even at the time yeah. I knew it existed and as I aged and more trauma and more crap throughout the life um came down I, I started to be a little better at sitting with the feelings but it's still it wasn't uh, wasn't easy till I till I met you and I kind of developed a little a bit of a support team. I don't know if it's appropriate, but I have to give a little bit of a shout out to my employer here because absolutely, absolutely. You know, I work for a place called Open Door Group. They are uh, an employment services agency, and they have a bunch of contracts here. But they are a people first organization, and they live it. They saw me struggling a couple years ago, and like I was two seconds from a stress leave. Like yeah. eating, purging, zero control, wanted to die. Like I was done. I couldn't. My kid was in the worst of her pre-diagnosis. And they really stepped into support this work that I've been doing with you. And anyway, I had support from them. I have had support from family. I have had mental health support from a counselor. And I am very fortunate to have had that team at the right time and I just wanted to express that gratitude I've had because holy I'd still be where I was a couple of years ago or worse right yeah you know those those different pillars in your life that provide support wherever they may come from it really can make all the difference and it did for you it totally has it's like transformative stuff 
Yeah. I'm done crying. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One thing that I remember you telling me that really has just like stuck with me and that, you know, you have felt that you've treated your body for so long, so poorly that doing this is trying to show up differently. And then this is trying to not make up for, but just do better. And I think that that's really beautiful. It's an offering yeah. to myself for the first time pretty much ever. And uh, that's not easy <laughs> when you're a people pleaser. Yeah. And you you just want to make everything better for everybody all the time. But then eventually it comes to a point where it's got to come from somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. This is the This is the shift. And it's beautiful shift. It I get is. to be this like gray haired, beautiful crone and, uh, you know, go barefoot into my garden and grow my herbs and hang them in my kitchen and listen to whatever music I feel like and crochet and all these beautiful small things that are for me. Yeah. And there's room for those things because I'm not obsessed with food anymore. That's really beautiful. And so maybe what's one piece of advice you'd give to somebody who's struggling with food right now, binge eating or just dysregulation with food? Make sure that the voice that you offer yourself is as kind or kinder than the voice you would offer to anyone else that you love that's suffering. Yeah. And keep working on it because it eventually becomes that voice. Mm, That's very great advice because it's true. I mean, when you first start trying to use that voice, it feels kind of more phony. Mm-hmm. It's you like a fake know. phone voice. Hello, <laughs> thank you for calling. <laughs> but the more you practice, it really does sink in there. It really, really does. Yep. Create your own soft landings too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's that's your bed all day with Kleenex and romantic movies and just being okay there. Mm-hmm. That's okay. You don't have to push through everything all the time. It's okay. Some things are hard. Yep. Great advice. Thanks. Any final final words for the people listening? Oh, people. Well, <laughs> well I think I've pretty much said it all. But uh, <laughs> this girl's pretty rad, so check her out. Um, I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful to you, Britt, because I would not be here without you. And I think it's because you have lived this and that lived experience really shines through in the work that you do. So I appreciate you tons. Thank you, Robin. I appreciate you too. You always know how to make me tear up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Big hearts for you. Big hearts. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this episode with me. It's yeah. I'm just really, really excited to put this out there. And I think that your bravery and sharing your story is going to help a lot of people. Thank you. And uh, yeah. I'm here if you need any more follow-up questions. <laughs> Sounds good. Maybe one day we'll do a part two. Who knows? Oh, yeah. That would be neat. That would be neat. Okay. <laughs> All Take right. Care. Well, thank you, everybody listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.